Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. A bit of a snooze fest to end the week with Wednesday's 0-0 draw against Sporting Lisbon, but there were a few positives to take from the game. A couple of youngsters looked right at home and Scott Carson kept his first clean sheet in three and a bit years in senior football. So it wasn't all bad, especially coming after such a comprehensive win over Manchester United last weekend. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast, a show that's probably going to focus more on the Manchester derby, given the closeness of the Premier League title race. After a couple of dodgy performances, it was good to put a team to the sword once again. And even better, it being United. Also on today's show, we'll preview the coming match with Crystal Palace with the help of the Palace blogger and podcaster Hopkin looking to curl one. And we'll hear from one City fan who's got an interesting story to tell from a previous trip to Selhurst Park. More on that later. But let's focus first on the week of football just gone. I'm David Mooney and I've got two legacy City fans joining me for today's show in the shape of Tony Burns. Hello. And Guy Burke. Hello, everyone. Uh, I was just saying, I've uh, I, I've belatedly realised that we've got Tony and Guy. So if we, yeah, yeah. If, if at any point we want to slip in some haircut puns, go for it. You know, no it's, problem. Uh, yeah. No problem at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's let's start uh, with uh, with that performance against United, Guy, because um, after Spurs and Everton, it feels like the display against United was just as important as the result. I mean, the result was was pretty good, but the the, the way they did it as well was important, wasn't it? It was, especially second half. I mean, the um, first half was very, very odd. I thought it was showing United far too much respect. Um, very sort of hesitant, you know, committing to tackles and stuff like that. A lot of misplaced passes, I thought, first half. Um, the first goal, obviously, was first few minutes. Perfect settler for the team. Um, then let them back in the game. Stupid goal to give away, which we'll probably talk about later, but just an absolute giveaway goal. And then 2-1, uh, De Bruyne scored again. Could probably have had one or two more, maybe before half-time. And then second half, um, they must have had the proverbial half-time rocket off the boss because they just ripped him a new one second half. Yeah. You know, I... And 4-1, 4-1 flattered United at the end of the game. You know, 6-7-1 or would have been a more realistic you know, viewpoint on the game from my point of view. Yeah, Tony, I was going to say, it was it's kind of, it's really encouraging, isn't it? That it was, it was a slowish start, but then like second half, there was no question about how dominant City had been. Well, indeed. I mean, you said, you know, was the display as important as a result? And I, and I thought, I thought a bit both really, because the Spurs game, I mean, as a, from a viewing perspective, was a good game of football to watch. But I think what it did was highlight our vulnerability to a team with a rapid counter-attack and, and we got mooked. We couldn't see the game out. I thought the Everton game was a game where we got away with it. We absolutely got away with it with the you know the um, the penalty business, the VAR decision. So, and from a points perspective, given where Liverpool are, absolutely obvious that every point is vital. So I think we had to get back to our best and we did. I mean, the second half was absolutely... I mean, I don't think... I came out of that game 
not really been able to remember when I've enjoyed a game, being at a game as much as that. And that's, I mean, partly obviously because it was United. And I think as uh, Guy just said, 4-1, United got away with it. They absolutely did. Yeah, it's it was kind of a, a damning indictment on United's performance, given that City took. It felt like City were so dominant that they took the foot off the gas from about seventy minutes onwards, and it, it was just like they were they were in cruise control, and yet United were still kind of like swinging and, and getting nowhere near them. Um, guy, guy, what do you think the difference was between the halves? Was it was it simply that Guardiola got them in at half time and said, "Listen, you need to you need to you need to be a bit more careful with your passing it." I can't, yeah, I can't think of any other reason. I'm sure some um, tactical expert will come on and say uh, Bernardo Silva pulled one of his socks up a bit uh, longer than the <laughs> other one. It may, I don't know. Um, but to me, I think it probably was as simple as that. They must have got in at half time and said, these are garbage. <laughs> these are absolute garbage. We should be thrashing these. So get out and do it. And they did. Yeah. Yeah, I've forgotten, actually. I mean, like, like Tony said, um, I've forgotten how nice it is to beat United, actually. Because I was a little bit blase and, and I wind the, the few reds I do sort of come in contact with, which, is, which I try not to do too many. <laughs> I, I give them the perfect wind-up, which they used to give us. Well, you know what? Liverpool's a bigger game than United for City now. Or, Chelsea, or it was Chelsea before that, you know, the way they used to do. And, and it works a treat, as it does, because they're very, very thin-skinned, as we know. And um, I sort of went into the game thinking, well, it's... It's three points, and it? it could be Brentford we're playing today. It could be Norwich, but but it was it was very very nice, very nice. Especially where I was sat on South Stand South Stand three, and you've got a good view of the away fans to the right, and they were they weren't pleased. Yeah, it was a it was a good so happen to nicer people. It was it was a good uh, empty out away end, wasn't it? By the end of it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they all sort of went and stood on the concourse downstairs, um, staring at the. Um, I suppose the TVs were off as well because that'd be showing the the game, wouldn't it? But, um, <laughs> Staring at how much pies were or whatever, you know. Which, uh, yeah. you know, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I thought that, like, in just in terms of the one bit of fairness, I will just add on this one is that at the start of the game, the first twenty minutes or so. To be fair, I thought United were quite decent, and and I hadn't expected them to actually um, press us as much as you did and as high as you did. I wasn't troubled by that because. It takes a better team than United to do that for a full game. Yeah, and I thought in the first half, I thought um, for me, I thought it was Grealish's best game. I thought his link up with Foden and Bernardo, I thought was spot on. I thought De Bruyne was exceptional throughout the game, and 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 I think you know you asked guy what was different in the second half and. I think it was just that ability for the team, whether it was just sheer determination to absolutely put the game away um, and to finish a game without any pity on the opponents. But in terms of objectivity and balance, United were just dismal at times. They, 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 that second half, they were desperate. After that third goal, it was a shocker. Yeah. Let's. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll come to the individual players shortly. Um, but I just, I, I've, I've had this info from uh, Adam Carter at StatCity.co.uk that just kind of underlines how, um, well, how dominant City have been under Guardiola. Because uh, in scoring in the derby, City made it goals in three hundred different matches under Guardiola. Um, only one other City manager has ever reached that tally. That was Les McDowell. He he managed uh, four hundred and eighty six in total. Um, 
Guardiola reached goals in 300 games in 33 matches quicker than McDowell did. Guardiola did it in his 335th match, McDowell in his 368th. Um, And in terms of of, of games that City have played under Guardiola, they've scored in pretty much 90% of them. 89.6% of games under Guardiola they've scored in. Um, So like it it just it, it just underlines Guy how well how dominant City have been in the last six years. I think it underlines how good Les McDowell was as a manager. And <laughs> 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 now even I know it's I know this is a crusty special edition, but even I don't remember Les McDowell as manager, and I'm pretty sure Tony doesn't either. However, my dad used to tell me about Les McDowell. Um how he was a I mean he was he was manager of the fifties that obviously the Troutman final and the year before City got to the final, didn't win the cup against Newcastle. Um but I don't think and no doubt some stat would would uh, ball me out on this, but I don't think City ever troubled the sort of top end of the first division in those days very often. So, you know, the best sort of thing was a cup run anyway. So in terms of success, I don't think he was up there with Mercer or Mancini or Guardiola, certainly, but he was certainly well-liked by the, the fans, McDowell. And I seem to remember my dad telling me when he got sacked for whatever reason, I don't know, I think it was probably a dispute with the with the city board at the time. He actually used to go on the Kipax and pay himself in. Yeah. And just stand with a normal, you know, hoi polloi on the Kipax to watch the games, you know. And um I think a bloke called George Poiser, wasn't it, who got it? It was a bit I think it was a bit of a yes man to the to the board of directors basically to how he got the job, you know. So uh yeah, so yeah, I mean obviously you know, Guardiola's stats are just phenomenal. Yeah. You know, as you can throughout his, you know, is it how he's still only been a coach in total for what 14 years, 13 years? Yeah, and, I mean, and most of it at City now as well. So, most of it, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you, you know, is how how people and of course we get all like, oh, would he do it at Scunthorpe and the thing? I think he probably would, <laughs> or he'd probably make Scunthorpe a better team than they are now, certainly. Yeah, I'd, r- I'd rather not try at the moment, though. I'd rather no, keep no, him to the end of this. He's probably got enough, he's got enough to concentrate <laughs> on at the moment. Yeah. Um, Tony, we were talking about, uh, you were talking about uh, Grealish earlier on. Um, just looking at, at, at the derby, obviously, because uh, he didn't uh, feature in midweek. Um, that's been, I mean, you said it yourself, it's been. Um, uh, lauded as his best performance for City, I I don't think he's been as bad as has been made out this season. A lot of people seem to seem to put a lot of pressure on his shoulders. I think he's had a good season. I I, I think he has. I think I mean I, th- I think that was possibly easily his best performance in a high pressure game. But actually, I I like really. So I think he brings a lot to the team. I, I don't think he's always set the place alight in the way that. Some people might think a hundred million pound player perhaps ought to, but actually, if you look at his contribution to the team, I think he pulls players towards him. I think he creates space, and actually, he's in pretty good company with a few other players who didn't quite reach the heights that others thought they should in the first season with Pep, Bernardo, Rodri. Was it Cancelo? Where there was talk of him wanting to go in yeah. his first season, so. If if he if he takes that path, I th- I think there's everything to be beyond excited about next season. I th- I think he's fantastic, and and his link up in particular at weekend with Foden and Bernardo. I mean, Wan Bissaka and Lindelof in that first half. That there's a, there's a reason why Maris didn't see much of the game in the first half. It was all down that side with Grealish and Cole. 
I think he had some unpredictability and I love it when he r- runs at players. I'd like to see a bit more of that from him. But no, I, I think he's I think he's done all right. Absolutely. It it was that, um, I I mean, I think Mares commented after the game that he only touched the ball about four times in the first half. And uh, when you, you you would say, wouldn't you, uh, with the success that uh, Grealish, Bernardo and Foden were having down that side, then, I mean, of course, Mares only touched it. You you would keep going back. If you, you keep going back to the well that you can drink from, don't you, Tony? Uh, Absolutely. And and, uh, there were times in that first half where Wan-Bissak and Lindelof, they literally, literally didn't know which way to turn. And and I thought they would sort of, it, it was just a great game. But but you, you point, a, a great performance from Grealish, but you point generally about Jack Grealish this season. I think he's, I think he's been fine. I think he's made a good contribution and his contribution, in, 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 do you know, I, I don't mean this in a literal sense, but you know, in the way that Jesus, that there's been this criticism, oh, he doesn't get enough goals and all of that. But look at what he does for the team. I think it's much more than that that's in your face sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. Um, Guy, just on Mares as well, because uh, obviously the second half, uh, if the first half belonged to Grealish, the second half uh, belonged to Mares. Um, he has become Mr. Reliable in front of goal, hasn't he? And again, how? If, why? one of the few things that annoys me about City fans in general at the moment certain sections of the crowd have always got to have a whipping boy. It was Mares last season. It's Grealish this season. It was Bernardo probably a couple of seasons before that. And again, like like Tony said about Grealish, I don't think Grealish has been that bad at all. There's been a few under-par performances. I think no one can sort of say different. Um, I'm not too impressed about him getting photographed on Deansgate at three in the morning out of his skull. You know, for a professional footballer these days to do that, he's, he's stupid. But his actual performances, I think, have been fine. He's, 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 but you, we, we, we have certain members of our fan base only happy when they're slagging a player off. And this this season, it's Grealish. The season before was Mares, and Mares is Mares is possibly player of the year this year. The way yeah. it's going, you know, it's, it's there's as always it, it's a few there's, there's a few good candidates there. I think he just got player of the month, didn't he, for the whatever it is supporters club thing they vote on, and. Um, I'd say at the moment he's, he must be pretty much out in front for player of the year, Maris. Yeah, we've uh, we've not uh, we've not even touched about uh, De Bruyne, who was uh, who, who ran the show in that in that first half as well. Uh, Guy, after, after the game, Guardiola said that the real Kevin was back. Um, he's had he's had an odd season, hasn't he, De Bruyne? He's he's, he's really kind of coming in out of the team. Yeah, and very wonder, hot and cold. Yeah, I wonder how much of it is he's still struggling with the injuries from last season. I mean, he had COVID at the start of the season as well. It's been a bit hot and cold. Certain games, he's been quite anonymous by his standards. Um, but he seems to uh, pull stuff out of the bag when it's needed. Chelsea game at home, um, again, wasn't particularly impressive in a game. Yet he pulls out a wonder goal to win the game. Um, uh, last Sunday, probably his best game of the season. Yeah. And, you know, ran everything. And, you know, the, the problem is De Bruyne, the bar's set so high with De Bruyne's standards in it. Um, what is it? What is a slightly below standard game for him is way above standard for 99% of players. So, you know, we've got to sort of look at that perspective as well, I think, yeah. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. 
change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware. Tony, I, 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 think, I think when you watch De Bruyne, you can tell, don't you, that he just, I, he just, he hates United. It's as simple as that. He hates United. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I just think with De Bruyne, I think the point Guy made, though, about by his own standards. He had he set the highest of standards. So if he's a bit off, and I think, as you said, in that he's had COVID, he had um, the, was it the injury he picked up on international duty? Um, yeah, there was the, the Champions League final as well. Yeah, so, and, you know, the, the post-COVID, the COVID and post-COVID world's been an odd time for everybody, really. And and I think by his, I think I've, I've seen him saying that he's he struggled a bit with COVID, but he he if he is back, the real Kevin as Guardiola said, then what a time to come back against them and for the running for the season, yeah, at the end of the season. And just can I just say because you, you you ask guy about Mares, I mean, wh- what about his penalties? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's not bad, is he? You know. Yeah, you need you, you need him on the pitch just in case somebody gets felled in the box these days, don't you? That's the uh, that, that's the uh, thing. Uh, the, the, the other thing about Mares, yeah, he, he has that sort of um, that that almost like trademark move where he, he's he's coming in, he's drifting across the box. Everybody knows what he's going to do, but nobody seems to be able to stop it. I mean, it's, it's fabulous, absolutely exceptional. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on Carl uh, Walker because of um, obviously he was suspended for uh, a second Champions League game in midweek. Um, we had this question on last week's show, and I wanted to revisit it after his display in the Manchester derby and Guardiola's comments this week on his on his red card in Leipzig. Um, last week, Paul got in touch on Twitter to say, "Are you worried about Walker? He's not been that involved recently, and I wonder if being beaten by Harry Kane for Spurs' winner after he gave the ball away on top of his Champions League suspension has left him a little bit in the doghouse." Um, we kind of batted it. Away on last week's show, and then Guardiola was asked about the um, the red card in the build up to the game in midweek. Uh, this is what he said: and "On Walker's suspension, we not. I don't think we've asked you about the appeal being turned down. He deserved it, but there have been examples. Kyle Walker deserved the three. When he, one player do this stupid thing, he deserved three banned players. I'm sorry. I'm not so kind to Kyle in this kind of action. Have you? How much? Still, I'm so angry with him. Yeah, it looks like it. So angry." Have you? What have your discussions with him been like about that incident? No, no, he knows it. It's not necessary to discuss about that. So it's so important, Kai Walker, for us. You see the game he played against United. We in Leipzig, qualify already, 75, 80 minutes, and make this kind of action. So he deserves the three, three games. The club appeal, I was not agree. He has to do it because in other cases it was quite similar. It was just two games. He deserved it. Hopefully he learn for the future. I said right after the the game, personally. But when they ask me about that, he deserve it. He deserve. You're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. What do you make of that, Tony? He's uh, he's not doing a very good job of hiding the fact that he's angry. There is he? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and that's and it's it's fair enough because. Um, it was a, it was a challenge that didn't need to be made, and to be out for those games is is a miss. But in terms of are we worried about Kyle Walker, in a word, no. Um, Pep wasn't happy with his booking, and that's perfectly understandable. And it was I thought it was unusual to see Pep so publicly annoyed. 
but I suspect there's a big message there for the team anyway. Um, but I'm I'm not worried about Kyle Walker. I'm always happy to see him in the starting lineup. And as for the, uh, did you say in your intro to that bit that we were blaming him for losing the ball for the goal that Kane scored? I, I mean, in in that game, he was a contributor to that. But we, we, Kane was exceptional in that game. It's probably the best I've seen him play against City. So I, I'm not I'm not worried about Kyle Walker. I, I'm disappointed in missing the games, but not worried about him. Yeah, I, I I just wonder as well, Guy, if it, obviously that was ahead of uh, a game that City were leading 5-0. I just wondered if it was a message to any of the other senior players to say, listen, like this game is over. Don't do anything stupid ahead of the next yeah, knockout yeah. round. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the way <laughs> Guardiola then, you know, not the sort of thing Walker would uh, patch up with a bar of dairy milk on the boss's desk or something <laughs> like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it was, I mean, Again, we uh, Walker gets stick from certain fans as well. A, a lad I know um, is slagging him off all the time. And to be quite honest, with the United goal on Sunday, um, I thought he had a bit of a point because he was—I don't know what he was doing. Where, where was he? he? Was hopelessly out of position for the when the ball went through and uh, well, whatever. I mean, it happens. It, you know, players make mistakes. We know that. You know, defenders make mistakes and usually lead to goals. Uh, strikers make mistakes and. It's easily forgotten about. It's one of those, isn't it? But uh, no, as Tony says, I like Walker. It, it, if I was picking the team, he'd certainly be my first choice fullback. So, you know, live and live and let live, I suppose, and just uh, hopefully mistakes he makes uh, don't contribute to anything that might cost us trophies or the league title or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, um, let's focus a little bit on that uh, midweek Champions League game, uh, and it was not not really too many headlines out of it. I think the biggest headline, Tony, was the youngsters that played uh, because uh, CJ Egan Riley didn't really look out of place at, at right back all night. He had the, he had that spell at the end where he was uh, keeping the ball under pressure. And I was like, yeah, you've you've definitely been trained at City. Um, yeah. what, did, what did you make of him? Oh, well, I, I thought he was terrific. I mean, t- to be honest. Um... And Betty, I, I didn't really sort of take much notice of, but Riley, I thought it was really eye-catching. And and the thing that, he, I mean, I think the passage of play towards the end, it was that way he was knocking about with stones and whatever. And I mean, it was fantastic. But the, the key thing about him is yet another one, stepping up into the first team and looking at home in front of the crowd with the other players. I, I thought it was terrific and barely put a foot wrong. I thought it had a, a, a terrific game, terrific game. Yeah. yeah, and uh, the other the other headline uh, guy was James McAtee came on at half time. Guardiola never makes changes at half time, and here he is bringing on a kid at half time, and then he slots in just like he, he just looks comfortable. And he like there was, there was a point kind of like ten fifteen minutes into the second half, and my 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 instinct was, you know, McAtee is involved here. He's very involved. Yeah, he's um, he's had a few minutes, hasn't he? Uh, late subs and what have you. But yeah, as you say, uh, a decent half to play, and yeah, I mean. It's very un- very rarely any of these youngsters come on, and they don't sort of seem impressive, does it? You know, and as I say, um, I must I must mention one um, thing about the lad Egan Riley. I uh, got a text while the game was on from a well-known sports journalist who's well known to me and you, David, who resides in Berlin, who said, "On my trip over next, we should get a song going for Egan Riley to the tune of Eaton Rifles by the Jam." <laughs> And the best I could come up with is, hello, hooray, 
he's not Andy Gray, he's Egan Riley, which, which needs a bit of work, admittedly. But yeah, I think, few, I, I was going to say, I think we, we might need to workshop this one, might we? I yeah. think so, yeah. So that, that was that was notable, as I say, and, you know, a, a typical journalist got nothing better to do but jokes <laughs> while the game's on, you know. Um, but, the, no, and again, yeah, the youngsters come on and, you know, he's not going to throw a youngster on just for the sake of it. He's, he's going to play him because he, he believes they're ready to contribute something. And yeah, I've, I've yet to see a City youngster, and certainly since Guardiola's been there, who's come in the first team and not look like he could be a, a decent prospect, you know. And it's uh, hopefully yeah, I, we see a lot more of them. I think I think it's the, the, the key about any of them that come in, and, and the three last night, I mean, Riley in particular, but the three of them, they look comfortable. That, yeah, that's the key yeah. thing. They, they don't the, best you can, yeah, the best you could And, and that says everything, I think, really. That's everything. Yeah. I'm um, going to finish the first part of the show with uh, a word on, uh, we talked about the youngest, let's talk about the oldie, because Scott Carlson got a run out, his first senior <laughs> game uh, without conceding <laughs> since December 2018. Uh, and there was, a, I mean, there was a good save in there as well, Tony. I thought he'd done himself in with that save, but it was a good save. Yeah, well, not not only was it, uh, did, did I think he'd done himself in myself, I thought that was a sure goal. I mean, we were sort of behind that and I thought they're going to score. So I was so pleased that um, he made that save because, you know, just to keep the clean sheet. But yeah, brilliant. And I think I think there's a... I hadn't really noticed until today when I saw a picture online, there's a lovely sort of embrace between Edison and Carson and what looked like a really genuine look of um, Edison being really pleased to give up his place for Carson. So lovely for the team, lovely for Carson. And he made a good save. So, yeah. What, yeah. what more can you ask for? A guy, he's, he's, he's talked about, you, you hear the players talk about him, and he's talked about like some, some grandfather figure in the squad. And like I, I'm, he's 18 months older than me. I don't know how I feel about that. He's bloody 29, what, 26, <laughs> 29 years younger. <laughs> you know, so long way to go. Um, yeah, he's well regarded, isn't he, by everyone. And he's, he's you know, and he's... Um, did you know, by the way, and I didn't know this till this morning, I heard it on the radio driving at work. Um, he's only played once before in the Champions League before last night. And that was for Liverpool v Juventus 2004-2005 season. And of course, Liverpool won the Champions League that season. Now, do you, do you like omens? I don't know. Hello. I don't, I don't believe in omens, but I'm well, willing to suspend they, well, that Well, I need a driver. Right, there yeah. you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's, yeah. Um, he's also, he's Cumbrian, of course, and, and Cumbria has a, a very few sort of top sort of professional players have made it from, from Cumbria. I mean, Emmeline Hughes was from Barrow in Furness when it was still in Lancashire, of course, which is now in Cumbria. And the only one I can think of, a top-level player, is Cumbrian, Glenn Murray. Who was at played started off with Workington Town and played wherever, didn't he? Crystal Palace, Brighton, wherever. Yeah. So yeah, feeling, Carson's feeling well uh, out of my depth here with the geography talk. Well, Carson's uh, Carson's flying the flag for Cumbria. If there is a if there is a Cumbrian flag, I don't know. Yeah, Cumbrian listeners, get in touch. Let us know. Find out. So, <laughs> we'll we'll find out if there is a flag. Yeah. Um, let's have a look at the uh, the game with Palace. Crystal Palace are the only team left who could join Spurs in taking six points off Pep Guardiola this season. I've been speaking to Dan, who runs Hopkin, looking to cool one to find out how Palace's season has been going after that Etihad win. I think if you look at it. In isolation, our actual away results haven't been fantastic at all. Off the top of my head, I think the win at Man City was our only away win this season other than Wolves in the Premier League just most recently, weekend just gone. So it's not as though you look at the results that we've had, as as well as Watford, sorry, a week before that, we've suddenly had this sort of purple patch away from home in the last couple of weeks. But in many ways... 
sort of the Patrick Vieira era has been one in which our performances haven't necessarily got the results they've deserved. And you look at that Manchester City game in isolation, it was almost as if every single thing we did across that 90 minutes just worked perfectly. Um, it's been frustrating because I think if you look at it, it depends whether or not you view XG as a sort of decent representation of a team's performance. But we've been a team that have performed very, very well and dropped a lot of points late on. So at Manchester City, to be 1-0 up going into the last couple of minutes and, and managing to get a second goal really was the icing on the cake. Yeah, I mean, in, in terms of uh, recent performances, I've got to come to this. You, you've uh, you've got a, a, a little uh, kind of mini winning run going. It was uh, it, there's only been the draw at Bur- against Burnley. That's uh, that, that's kind of the uh, blotted the copybook in there. Um, form it feels like form's good at the moment. It is, yeah. I'm, uh, to be honest with you, it's the entire season has been one that has seen our fan base be overwhelmingly positive. I think it was from neutral perspective a season where many people assumed that Patrick Vieira was too big a risk, that there was going to be too much in terms of player turnover, that trying to take us away from a style of football that was more defensive and and sort of solid under Roy Hodgson to one that was more expansive under Patrick Vieira was going to be a, a bridge too far. But for most Palace fans, I think I speak when I say this, we've just enjoyed the ride. And to see us, you know, now in the top half of the table and with an FA Cup quarter final on the horizon, it's just... It's just a very good time to be a Crystal Palace fan, really. Yeah, I was going to come to Vieira because um, I, I think a lot of us saw it as a risk. I saw it as a risk at the, at the start of the season. Um, but it, it feels like it's working. It definitely is. I think it's difficult, obviously, if you're not embedded within a football club to understand the whole ethos. But it, we sort of treaded water for 18 months to 24 under Roy Hodgson. And, you know, he did what he had to do in terms of keeping us in the Premier League. But the squad was reaching a point where it had to be reshaped. It had to have a lower age profile. And I think everyone at the football club knew that that Roy Hodgson wasn't necessarily the man to oversee that. Um, And, you know, whether or not you look at Vieira's managerial CV and say that it necessarily stacked up in terms of Premier League quality, players like Michael Elise or Mark Gahey or Wilfred Zaha, Abir Eze, you know, they see Patrick Vieira. And there's someone there that they've grown up watching and idolising. You know, he was the captain of the Invincible side, a, a true famous Premier League midfielder. And I think in the immediate, that side of things really helped him sort of get his message across and win the respect of the squad immediately, where Roy Hodgson potentially just had too much of a an age gap. And whilst he may have had the respect, I don't think they necessarily would have bought into a, a style of football that was going to be more expansive under Roy. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
in terms of of this season, then uh, obviously you mentioned there top half of the table, um, doing well in the FA Cup. Um, what what are the hopes between now and the end of the season? I think you know for a club like us, it has to be said that until you reach the sort of 35, 40 point mark, you're always going to be looking over your shoulder and thinking about the prospect of relegation and getting enough points on the ball to avoid that. Listen, Matt, the, there's no way you're going down this season. No, no, Absolutely no way, yeah. But this is the thing, you see, before this little purple patch of form that we'd had, you know, we were going into these three games, uh, Watford, Burnley, and then obviously Wolves away, thinking, well, you know, we need to pick up points. There's no getting around it. And obviously we've managed to pick up uh, seven points out of the nine available and it's really given us that boost necessary to go into these last run of games in the Premier League with a lack of pressure on our shoulders and when you throw the FA Cup into the mix obviously we're 90 minutes away from a Wembley appearance and whilst you don't want to necessarily guarantee that you're going to get through I think Everton if you look at their season have got bigger fish to fry at the moment in terms of their Premier League status so hopefully for us you know it ends with a decent run of results in the Premier League and hopefully a, a Wembley appearance thrown in. Yeah, just uh, just looking at this game on on Monday evening, um, are Palace fans quietly confident about this? Just given again, given the form recently, given what you did at the Etihad, um, there's, there's no reason to fear City, I guess, is there? I mean, obviously, you look at what Manchester City have done this year, what they've done throughout the time that Pep Guardiola's been in charge, the top of the league, they're scoring goals of fun, they're doing well in Europe. It's not as if you know we go into any game against a top top side and assume we're going to get points, but it is almost the definition of a free hit, really. You know, because even if we were sort of at home and fighting for points, there's pressure on us to try and stay in the game as long as possible. Whereas this is almost a case of, you know, you've got the three points on the board from the Etihad game. You've got relative comfort in terms of our league position. And I think if you look at the high-energy football that we've played for the most part under Patrick Vieira with Conor Gallagher, with Michael Elise, Wilfred Zaha, etc., then we can really have a go at it. And I think, you know, Pep Guardiola is on record as saying that he doesn't like playing Crystal Palace because of the compact nature of our team and the fact that we are so good on the counter. So it really is the definition of a free hit and one that hopefully our players and fans can enjoy watching. I think it might also be because you keep beating him as well. That uh, that might put him off uh, off games against Palace. Um, you mentioned Conor Gallagher. You've mentioned Wilf Sahar a lot. Um, it, it feels like like this is a proper team as well this season, built around those sorts of attacking players. I always think of Palace in the past and and think you know that could be a little bit reliant on Zahar. Uh, these days, it doesn't feel like that. No, without a doubt, we've certainly differentiated our attacking options, and I think you know it's often been a source of frustration for both our fans and for Wilf because you look at a situation where a Manchester City or even you know a mid-table side will come up against Palace and they'll stick to a three men on Zaha, and that that will be the sort of main threat nullified. But I mean, Michael Elise is on the other flank at the moment, and he's just an absolute joy to watch. I've never seen in Crystal Palace colours a player with a higher ceiling as Michael Elise. It's quite insane to see what he can do at 20 years old. And obviously, when you've got him on one side and Zaha on the other, defences just don't really know where to go in terms of trying to double up on them, in terms of committing men to one side or the other. Uh, You've got Tyreek Mitchell coming through, Mark Gay in the centre of defence. It's just a very young core that appear to really enjoy playing together. And I think, you know, Patrick Vieira really has been the perfect man to mould all of it as you know, a team unit and got us, you know, playing in the in the right way and as a cohesive group. So it's just fantastic to watch. 
Yeah, how how do you think he'll approach Monday night? Because the the game at the Etihad again, he he did a really really good job of um, not necessarily pressing City, but making sure there was no spaces for them to to, to kind of pass through. Um, do you expect the same a similar sort of setup again? Yeah, I think I mean it's quite easy from a neutral point of view to sort of see the way that we operate against top sides and not really notice too much of a difference between the Roy Hodgson approach and the Vieira one. The only difference that I can see as a fan who watches us every week is that when we do have possession now, I think we're far more confident in our ability to play through the Lions. Joachim Anderson and Mark Gahey, uh, for me anyway, as two centre-backs that can spray passes 30 or 40 yards relatively easily, are the sort of new base of our attacks. And quite often, it will be a case of the two of them you know, retaining possession and looking to build from defence rather than just knocking a ball in behind and letting one of the the pacey players sort of run onto it. So as much as the counter-attack is still a huge weapon in our arsenal, I think we do have a better chance of retaining possession even against the top sides than we did when Roy Hodgson was in charge. And I expect that to be largely the case when we do get the opportunity to get our foot on the ball on Monday night. Yeah. Um, Dan, before we let you go, uh, we've got a charity back coming up a bit later on in the show. Um, I'm notoriously useless at it, so uh, I'm going to give mine over to you. What's your score prediction for this game? Do you want me to be outlandish or do you want me to be realistic? Do whatever you want, mate. I'm. Uh, it, it, it's entirely up to you. Well, I'll tell you what. Given the fact I'm a Crystal Palace fan on a Manchester City podcast, we'll go with a 1-1 draw, I think. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Crystal Palace fan Dan, better known as HLTCO on Twitter. Um... Uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of uh, of, of this game, uh, Tony, it's a Monday night game. Um, I want you to have a listen to this. This is uh, Pep Guardiola speaking before City's Monday night trip to Stoke back in 2018. At the time, City had played three times on a Monday under him and they'd won one, drawn one, lost one. Um, and then this is what he said. Sometimes in Barcelona, when you think we play, play in Monday, when I remember Lente Mago, always it was not good. I prefer to play in weekend, yeah, but all the teams play San. So it's not about it's just for my experience and I don't like. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Yeah, so uh, not a fan of Mondays. Um uh, since then, City have won all six games on a Monday night. So uh, Guardiola's record on uh, on Mondays, he's played nine, won seven, drawn one, lost one. Um does it does it affect you at any point? Like the fact that it's a Monday night game, does that bother you? No, no, not really. I mean, I, I, I don't think it bothers me any more than uh, a game played any other day of the week, really. Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, what it does for players in terms of routine, who knows? But no, for, for me, it doesn't make any difference. No particular worries about that. Um, do I get worried about Palace as well on a Monday? Not especially. Um, I think Palace have been... been Half decent, really. I hope uh, Mr. Vieira understands the importance of the game. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I, I, I'm expecting it to be a, a. I think it'll be a reasonably tight game. Um, I think I've watched a little bit of Palace in recent weeks. I think they've only lost once in the last six games or so. And the they played Chelsea, and that was a bit tight. So not particularly worried. Reasonably tight game, but I think we'll be okay. Well, City's got a City's got a history of Monday night games. Of course, uh, Premier League first ever one at home to QPR, um, ninety two, wasn't it? Monday night. Yeah. I mean, the only 
the downside of it is, of course, is for fans travelling. I mean, I, I looked the list of the Monday games um, that City have had in recent years, and for some reason I didn't go to Stoke away. I don't know why. Probably because tickets were in short supply. But I did the um, Tottenham away on a Monday night at Wembley, which was uh, in October, wasn't it? The, yeah, very was tight it, that one. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Uh, did the Bournemouth away as well, mainly because um, we went to Bournemouth the year before a group of us, there was 20 of us went, only two got tickets for the game. And we met a load of Bournemouth fans in a pub, great people. And we sort of were still, still friends with them now, actually. So, and when it was the Monday night game the year after, of course, there was loads of tickets going, nobody wanted to go. So we went and met up with them again. And, and we still see them now. We saw them last year and we got a door set every couple of years for a holiday. And we, we saw them last year on a weekend there. So, yeah, so that's the only thing. It's um, especially Crystal Palace is, is an absolute mare to get to. You know, really is. I've only been once, which was the um, New Year's Eve lunchtime kickoff, and we set off from here about six in the morning. Did it in about four hours because basically there was nothing on the roads, even in central London. It was it was deserted more or less. But but on on Monday it's going to be an absolute whatever. You know, yeah, going to get through London to... at rush hour. Yeah, oh, dread, on, on, I don't envy anyone doing that at all. But um, and I did the famous Wigan Cup game as well. Um, which which, uh, which one? Uh, the Monday night one, <laughs> FA Cup. Yeah, the FA Cup yeah. one. It's just that it's every every time, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's, there is, well, yeah, there is. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the, yeah. yeah, the Monday night one, the last one. Um, so yeah, I think the only from a from a fan's point of view, it is a bit of a it is a pain because you've got to you've got to take a day off work, I suppose, or half half a day either side of the the evening game, if you know what I mean. Um, but I, don't, I wouldn't have thought the players makes that much difference, really. Yeah, you know, yeah. preparation and, won't be any different, particularly. And the record's pretty good as well. So, uh, yeah, Sellers Park, Tony, not uh, not an easy place to go to. It has been vital in uh, previous City Liverpool title races as well. Obviously, City uh, winning their two nil um, the day that Chelsea uh, drew. Uh, sorry, the day that Chelsea won at Anfield. Uh, Liverpool that season, obviously as well, uh, uh, threw away a three goal lead there. It's a, it, it has played a role in the past, hasn't it? It, it has, and and it, I've only been to Palace once in recent years, and it was for that game, a, an absolutely dismal trip on the supporters' coach, um, which my son, had, uh, Richard, had encouraged me to go on, which uh, never again. Um, <laughs> but that that we were there, we were in the concourse watching the um, the Liverpool game against Chelsea when Gerrard slipped. Um, it was just fantastic. So very fond memories of that. There were flares in the in, in the concourse and not those that I was wearing. There was beer being thrown up. Um, and yeah, and we won the game. Absolutely brilliant. So very fond memories. And as you said, that was, was it, it was only, was it a week or two before City went there when Liverpool had thrown away that lead? Yeah, was, I, th- I think, well, Liverpool did it. They must have done it in their... It must have been their second last game of the season because City then had to. Oh no, City then had to go to Everton, did they? I can't yeah. remember this. There, there's a, there, there was there, there was Everton, was there was Monday Villa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Liverpool but, but Palace yes. three all was Monday night as well. Yeah, yeah. it was it's a bank uh, holiday, I think. Might have been Easter Monday. I can't remember. But so so my my biggest, I, I always remember that game. At, um, not well, not not so much the game, but the watching the. Um, being in the concourse watching the Stephen Gerrard slip, and it was just fantastic. That's it, you know, <laughs> superb. So, but um, not necessarily an easy place to go to, but we've got a decent record there and uh, tight, but I think we'll be okay. 
Yeah, and I guess, Guy, the, the other side of it is, is, as we were talking about in the first part of the show, um, they, they've they had that performance against United now to to kind of go, OK, th- we, we can remember how we need to play, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. I mean, that, I, I'm hoping the, the Arty game will be the catalyst now to, to kick on the season in, in all comps, really. Um, you know, and barring, uh, obviously, we've, we've got a couple of players injured at the moment, but... Um, Keep this, keep the squad relatively injury free for the last third of the season that it is now, and I think we've got a chance of winning all three. <laughs> and, uh, and I know it's uh, you know people say oh we're steady on and all this, but I, I don't see any reason why City can't win all three trophies. They're still in this season, and I don't see anything but a reasonably comfortable win on Monday night. I honestly don't. Palace have done well. Patrick Vieira is doing very well there, and um, better than I thought he'd do. To be honest with you, but um, I, I can't honestly see. Uh, anything past the City win on Monday. Yeah, well, uh, we'll come to predictions shortly. Um, Tony, uh, f- um, first things first, uh, does does Liverpool go in first or second bother you anymore? You think back to that that 2018-19 title. It was that 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 was that was hellish in the running, and we were kind of always talking about, oh well, Liverpool go first, and then City have to respond, and City go first, and Liverpool have to respond. I mean, does it matter these days? Both teams, they you sometimes go first, you sometimes go second, but either way, you still got to win your game. Yeah, well, well, the answer to that for me is it's sort of a yes and no. I mean, I'd always, I'd always rather we stayed top. In reality, sometimes the positions in the league, they, they, they you know, they, you just mentioned when it was that swapping about, they can be a bit distorted due to the scheduling and and so on. And I think it was that the the, the year when we beat them by a point or two, when there was, I remember seeing something on Sky saying, "Oh, the league's changed hands x many times." Well, it would do when you're scheduling games that way, you know. So, so this season, no, not so much. So, um. I I would like to, well, I hope that when we play Liverpool in a couple of weeks, I hope that we've got the points cushion in hand then. But does first or second matter? Not really. Not yeah. really. Um, Guy, that Liverpool are away at Brighton. Um, they're six, so City are six points ahead. They've got a game in hand. Uh, Liverpool at home is now two games away, and I, like no matter what, no matter how you kind of look at it, that game is is going to be crucial. But I guess psychologically, it's important for City to not be able to lose top spot in that game, is it? Yeah, well, you'd, you'd say so, wouldn't you? But I mean, I mean, the Liverpool game because of where it was scheduled anyway was always going to be uh, um, not a title decider necessarily, but always going to be a significant sort of marker as to where the the title would go. I mean, with, there's so much uh, guff talks in there these days about about the, you know, I mean, Liverpool won't drop any points now before the end of the season. Brighton away is by no means a given. In the same way that Palace away is by no means even, but Brighton are not a bad team at home, and um, you know who knows a draw possibly there. Yeah. Maybe you don't know. <laughs> do, you, do you get ner- do you get nervous? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. But I think to be honest with you, I think that's what your football fans. If you don't get nervous as a football fan, then you shouldn't really be a football fan. If you just, you know, that's that's part of the thing. That's part of the. Um, you know, I know fans say, oh, I'm dead nervous about the game. I don't like this. I said, that's what you're a football fan for. You know, if you know, we've been to plenty of games where we're not nervous because it was almost inevitable we were going to get battered. Or in recent years, there's been a lot of games where we're not nervous because it's more almost inevitable that we're going to win. 
Um, whereas games like even United last week, in view of City's stuttering run of late, that was by no means nailed on before kickoff. And um, obviously, Liverpool, whatever state of play it is when we play Liverpool, whether we're still six points ahead or lot or more or whatever, you know, there's still it's still going to be a game. It's still going to be it's still going to be a game on that you're going to be nervous about. And that's as I say, that that's what we're all football fans for to be excited, to be a little bit nervous, to be downtrodden. <laughs> At weekend, I wasn't really. I didn't quite feel the nervousness because it was in the way I used to, because it was United and a derby. Because at the end of the day, United are not really a very good team. I, w- I was more nervous about making sure we had the three points because of what it would mean if we didn't get them in terms of Liverpool yeah. rather than it being United. That, so, yeah, you always have that sense of, um, yeah, in that way. Yeah. 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 Right, well, let's try and raise some money for charity. We've raised uh, £1,230 so far this season for the Man City Fans Food Bank support. They're collecting for the Trussell Trust to help those living in food poverty in Greater Manchester. William Hill has given each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. Uh, we heard a bit earlier on that uh, Dan the Palace fan is going for a one-all draw on Monday night. That's 10 to 1 and £100 if he's right. Uh, Tony, what's your score prediction for this one? 2-0 uh, City. Uh, 2-0 City is 11-2 to two and £55 if you're right. Guy, what are you having? I'll go 3-0 City. 3-0 is 15-2 to two and uh, £75 if you're right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, now, Monday's game is live on Sky, which means it should be fairly easy to watch. In Guardiola's first season, though, it was a trip to Selhurst Park in the fourth round of the FA Cup that was almost impossible to view unless you were there. I say almost because it was streamed live on Periscope by one supporter in the away end. Josh Chambers was responsible. He's been speaking to Dom Farrell for City is Ours at the Manchester Evening News. I knew going to the game that it wasn't going to be televised. So um, my dad usually watches all the games, um, like, you know, finds a stream if he can't get up north anymore um, to watch them. So he, so I thought I sort of, I don't know what, I think I saw a tweet from someone. I posted a picture of me, uh, you know, just, or a picture of the ground or something on Twitter. And a few people started replying being like, film it. (laughs) Uh, And so... (laughs) And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, why not? So I gave it, so I got Periscope out and started streaming and uh, and then it just started to like blow up. I think because people were looking around and there was nowhere else um, streaming it. So uh, I think my dad had even stumbled across the stream. I hadn't told him <laughs> where to look or anything. It sort of crashed my phone a little bit. It, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't do anything with it. It just started overheating. And but it was it was it was good. I think uh, at half time I realised how many people had actually tuned in. And, and how how many was that at half time? Obviously, your, your phone probably needed fifteen minutes in your pocket at that stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, uh, so I, I reckon I think I looked back and it was about eighty six thousand, maybe. It said that there was like watching it live, which is a bit mad. I think it then said there was a few, you know, like another thirty or forty or thousand that watched it replay. So I don't know what the final number was, but um, but yeah, so it did. Yeah, it did. Sort of. I mean, there was one awkward moment when my phone uh i was trying to zoom in people were commenting and so i was kind of trying to interact with people commenting and uh, <laughs> get like a better shot of um i don't know the screen with as a replay for a goal or something and i accidentally like double tapped and it flipped the camera around and uh then it crashed and it wouldn't flip back so there was a period where i'm panicking and i've got all these people <laughs> watching my face and so uh that was funny and i think it ended up uh, becoming a bit of a meme. I think there's some kind of screenshots of my face going around City Twitter. So, 
yeah. So I mean, so you became aware pretty much straight away that it was causing a bit of a major stir, and this was like a sort of a city Twitter memeable moment and things like that. Yeah, a bit mad. I think uh, like loads of people I've been following on on City Twitter for ages, you know, um, making me laugh or just you know for updates. Them kind of messaging me, DMing me, and people trying to set me up with like a power bank. They'd found someone in like a different aisle that had like a phone charger and things like that. Uh, but it was all yeah, it was all quite nice. Just all the messages were positive. People saying that I was man of the match or you know needed a statue, things like that. <laughs> did, did you have did you have to source a, a charger at halftime or anything like that or was that was the battery solid yeah the battery was all right i think it it, it managed to last um i think i found a, a charger at some point um but i mean the second half i i carried on i sort of filmed it again um and i'd made friends by this point with a couple of people next to me um yeah. a guy called robbie and yeah that was quite fun so yeah it, the second half it wasn't as uh I was more relaxed, I think. <laughs> yeah, you just just got got into your groove as a as a sort of a, a live TV director, sort of on the fly. Um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I I remember from from it that there were a couple of times like I I had I had not remembered. You'll be glad to know about your your face becoming a meme, but um, I do remember the stream sort of went down a couple of times, and everyone sort of go no. What's happened to the Periscope guy? What's going on? <laughs> Worried they were going to have to listen to the radio again, like the olden days. So the game itself, what, what, yes. do, you remember, what yeah. do you remember from the game? I mean, how, how much of the game were you actually sort of yeah. consciously watching? <laughs> it must have been a really different football watching experience for you. It, it was, yeah, it was. Um, and yeah, I don't know if I'll do it again. But um, but yeah, it was. It was. Um, I mean, it was a good game. We, there was particularly uh, things that stand out were kind of, Yaya's got a great free kick in the second half. Yeah. Um, and I remember the, the guys I've made friends with were calling, you know, were saying he was going to score. But I mean, they did call it. But to be fair, I think we all hoped he would. So it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> that outrageous. But we, um, but other than that, I think I sort of remember, I don't know, Sterling and Gabriel sort of some of their, some of their stuff, but not, nothing really. I don't remember a lot of the game, to be honest. <laughs> How does it feel in this in this strange in the age to sort of be that little part of city folklore, because I put the tweet out asking if anyone knew where to find you. And I mean, this is probably more reflective of the nonsense I put on Twitter, but that got more responses than most things I put out there, to be honest. It's like, it, you know, people do remember the Periscope no guy, basically. Um, I love that. No, it does feel, um, I'd never really thought of it as like city folklore, like you said, uh, but yeah, maybe there is a little bit of that. I think uh, it was, it does feel nice. I think I've never had like I've never been recognised or anything <laughs> for it. But um, and I was I was promised a lot of beers and pints and things, but I've never <laughs> never had one. But other than well, that, well, it was, well, yeah. let's hope this bring, let's hope that yeah. this brings those de delayed pints in. No, yeah, no, that would be good. I mean, what I yeah, I think I also found that there was a lot of people from around the world messaging me, which was uh, which is a bit mad. I, you know, I hadn't thought about. There's a Toronto fan group that had sort of got in touch and people in Brazil and pe you know people all over the place so I think there's um yeah it made me sort of realize a lot of uh that there's a lot more city fans out there I think you're listening to the blue moon podcast you've made it this far so don't give up now
That was City fan Josh Chambers talking about the time that he uh, streamed a guy a game live to the internet via Periscope. Um, let's finish this week's show with some uh, listener questions. Get in touch for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, we start with uh, Contemplative Jesus on Twitter, who asks, would City have been able to play United off the pitch in the same way if the centre-back pairing included Diaz? Diaz is the best defender of the lot, but he's also the weakest on the ball. Um, Tony, what do you reckon? Well, look, contemplative Jesus. On the basis that if City had played me in the second half, we'd have, <laughs> we'd have played nice off the park. Then, you know, if, if Diaz had played, it would have been the same. And to be perfectly honest, I've never thought of Diaz as being weak on the ball. Yeah, have you have you just had your knee done? Have you uh, you had a knee operation recently? If I remember rightly, uh, I did indeed. And and before, after, or even during the operation, I still could have given some of them United players <laughs> a game. <laughs> oh, well, I'll team up. You knock him down, um, guy. What, what what do you what do you make of it? Because obviously, Diaz is is the player that came in and uh, really kind of secured City defensively. Um, but in terms of ball playing, you would say probably Stones and and Laporte are the two that you'd want in the team. Um, like like Tony just said, Diaz has a weakness. It's it's news to me, to be quite honest, because I've, <laughs> I've, I've not I've not seen it that evident. To to be quite honest with you, I mean maybe you know I, I dare say people better um, qualified than myself to say that uh, Stones on the port are better ball players. Maybe probably right, but I don't know Diaz. I mean Diaz when fit is is a shoe into the team. Diaz, there's there's not that many players you can you can who are saying when fit they're definitely in the team. Diaz is definitely Diaz is is the first name on the team sheet, isn't it? Yeah. Let, let's be fair, and um, it's a question of who plays with him. Whether yeah. uh, Stones can Stones done reasonably well at fullback at the moment uh, last few games, so maybe that's the way he'll get a few more games. But no, Diaz is Diaz is the first name on the team sheet as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, let's finish with a sports fan on Twitter who says, while playing against the back five, Pep wants to put the right-footed player at the right and the left-footed player at left wing to expand the opposition back line. But why doesn't he use Mares at left wing when he has the best left foot? Um, this, I mean, this is interesting because it's something that I was kind of calling for a few years ago, Tony. And yeah, like Mares will only ever play on the right-hand side. And like I think you said before, he, he's got the one move that he does and it... Like, it, it you can't stop it, even though you, even though you know it's coming. Um, could he do that from the left? Do you think? Uh, given his absolute ability, control, and first touch, he could probably do it anywhere. But I think the simple answer, like why doesn't he play him on the right, is he's superb where he is. I mean, he's fantastic. I, 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 his ability to put a crossing from the byline, let alone his ability to drift across the 18-yard box, why, why why, fix something that's not broke? Yeah. Yeah. Guy, Guy, is he is he a player for you that, um, I mean, again, on the right-hand side has been, he's been exceptional, but we just haven't seen him on the left. Would you like to see I, him on the left? I think that question from whoever it was is a perfect example of football fans overthinking too much. I mean... I'm willing to give the bloke who's probably the greatest coach in European, if not world football history, the benefit of the doubt on this one. Oh, are you and sure? Let, <laughs> and let him, I think I might just, yeah, I think I might just let him have this one because, you know, I think he's better qualified than me 
anyone else listening to this and certainly the guy who put the question in is knowing where the best place is to play his players. So I think, yeah, I think I think a lot of football fans overthink the game far too much these days and, and that was a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, right, well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening and thanks also to my guests for today's show, Tony Burns. Thank you and goodbye. And Guy Burke. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Don't forget, go and leave us a rating and a review wherever you can. It all helps people find the show. If you'd like to listen to some more, though, we've got some bonus podcasts for Patreon backers. This week's City fan, John Kavanagh, was talking us through his picks of City matches that shaped him as a fan. Here is a short clip. If you turned up at Main Road at 10 o'clock, there'd be all the players' cars outside the main entrance. And around about um, 12 o'clock, a little blue door to the right of the steps, which went up to the executive offices. The little blue door was a bit like the stage door to the theatre. The little blue door was where the players emerged from, um, having been training. And almost to a man, they'd come out the blue door like a fag. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and nip across the road where there was a little cafe and they'd go in there and have a cup of tea and a, and a sandwich or whatever. But of course, yeah. we, were, we were all lurking there as kids and we'd have our topical times football annual or our Charles Book and football annual that we got for Christmas and carefully having bookmarked the photographs of City players, be looking for to grab the player that featured and actually get them to autograph the photograph. And of course, some City players were more famous than others. I mean, obviously, probably the most famous at the time was Bert Troutman, the goalkeeper. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, the, the film The Keeper tells his story very well. But he was, God, he was, he was loved. And what a man, what a character. Um, did, did you get I, his autograph in the end? Well, I did. I did, but it's, it wasn't easy. He was a lovely fella, but my word, he lived up to the, uh, the stereotype of, of a German. He would, uh, <laughs> he, would not, <laughs> he would not consider signing any autographs until all the kids were lined up in front of him in a straight line. <laughs> Come on, you boys, line up now. And I can hear him now. Yeah. And he made everybody line up. He would then sign every autograph offered to him, to be fair, and that took some time. And then um, he didn't usually go to the cafe. He would then almost literally fold himself into his VW Beetle. He was a great big guy. Um, and then drive off. But he was the image of um, a Teutonic hero. Tall, blonde, um, amazingly, looked like a bundle of health. But a, a great man, loved by everybody. Um, and when and you knew you were in the presence of somebody special when you were near him. That was a clip of this week's Patreon bonus show. It's available to listen to now for everyone who backs the show by £2 per month. You can also get the bonus shows in your usual podcasts app as well. They'll download automatically every Monday to your phone or whatever you use. Uh, details are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. I'll be back next week to review the game at Palace. So I'll see you then. was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast